Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your captain this evening, Stephen Buja, and joining me is my trusty, handy sergeant who's been with me through all the places of Europe, Mr. Matthew Marchetti. Matt, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing... Doing great? Great. Oh, excellent. I am, yeah. I mean, I'm in, in good spirits in general, but I'm, I know it sounds contradictory almost to talk excitedly about such a dramatic and, and, and tragic <laughs> film in some regards, but I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I mean, I'm always down to talk about this movie, but no more yes. so than this sort of yeah. official um, time. You may, be, you may be asking, well, all right, you're, we're, um, we're talking about Saving Private Ryan, film from 1998 but guys didn't that not win best picture and i would say kudos to you good sir with the eyes and the knowing things because you're right saving private ryan did not win uh the film that won was shakespeare in love we reviewed that last week on the show do check it out but um because 1998 was among one of the most contentious years in oscar history and because I think a lot of folks personally feel like Shakespeare in Love kind of stole stole it. We are bringing up one of our little sub-episodes called For Your Reconsideration, and we're going to look back at Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg's World War II epic, and see if perhaps it did deserve Best Picture, or if it did not, and how it is held up almost 20 years from now. It's been 20 years. Oh, good. Good, Insane. good Lord. So... It's the summer of 1998, and that is, I think that is important to remember because this movie came out in the summer. I remember seeing it with my dad. I was 15, and that seemed... It was, it was one of those... It's one of those times where they're like, yes, you're too young to go see this, but you should go see this, so we're gonna, it's going to be okay. And I, and I went and saw it with my dad, so you know, mm-hmm. I was with a, with, a, with a guardian, even though I was like six foot two at the time, or I was just, just gigantic. <laughs> Uh, came out in the summer, and uh, just a side note, Shakespeare in Love came out very late in the game, and it's a very long Oscar season that, you know, the award ceremony was in March, and I think the summer release of this film, while it substantially bolstered its box office take, uh, it was the um, highest, it was the highest grossing domestic film of 1998, beating out even Armageddon, which I... Wow. I fucking love Armageddon. I think that's Michael Bay, one of Michael Bay's yeah. greatest movies. Uh, and uh, also, uh, the last R-rated movie to uh, win the year domestically until uh, 2014 with American Sniper. Um, all that being said, I saw it in the summer. I was there. Marchetti, summer 1998. You were there. How did you How did you first see this film? I was. Uh, it, similar circumstances to yours. I was... Um... I would uh, be with my mother on the weekend. My my parents were divorced, and um, my father was a little more. He was a little more concerned about content in films. Um, not so much nowadays, and he sort of just let that go eventually. But he was he was trying to be a good dad and make sure that we weren't subjected to anything. And I think he probably would have uh, been accepting of this film. Um, but either way, weekends for weekends were for my brother and I to go watch R-rated films with my mother and. Um, 
or a boyfriend at the time. Um, eventually, I think they got married. It gets very soap opery in my mother's life. Um, so we went to go see this in the weekend, and I, I think I remember my mother thinking, "Oh, it's it's that Steven Spielberg. He's a he's a nice young gentleman. This this should be a. I don't know why my mother is like this, <laughs> this old, old Jewish lady. <laughs> I, I I think she just assumed, you know, it's Spielberg. It's it's going to be very good. I I, I think I think going into it, people knew it was it was it was an intense film. Um, and I think we just, we went regardless. And I, I, I remember thinking, or I remember in, in some way thinking like, I know what this is going to be like. I have a sense. I read a history book. One time. <laughs> and then I remember watching it. And then like Monday morning came around and I went to go see my, my history teacher, Mr. Urso. And I was like, you <laughs> bastard, you lied to me. It was way worse than the books. Way worse. Uh, distinctly remember like not being that, uh, you know, crazy about it, but I, I do remember speaking to him afterwards, and I was very fired <laughs> up about it. <laughs> so yeah, saw it in theaters, uh, loved it, was yeah. horrified by it. <laughs> yeah. by it. Um, I only ever saw it once in theaters, uh, and saw it multiple times uh, on DVD when it came out a couple of years, a couple of years later. So, film is Saving Private Ryan. Just a little, little, little uh, up topness. Uh, directed by, of course, uh, the one and only Steven Spielberg, and written by Robert Rodat. Rodat, however, star, um, starring, Rodat. and this is uh, just a great cast. Starring Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Edward mm-hmm. Burns, Tom Sizemore, Giovanni Ribisi, Barry Pepper, Adam Goldberg, Jeremy Davies, and Vin Diesel, with some cameos by a, just a great number of people, like Ted Danson. Paul Giamatti, yeah. Dennis Farina, sure, why not? Nathan Fillion, just it's, it's so many people went on to do so many things from this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to admit, a lot of them, uh, especially Goldberg, Barry Pepper, and Giovanni Ribisi, they are always these guys. They were, I just, yes, I, they, this is how I, this, on their highlight reels, many years from now when they have passed on, this is what I am going, this is what I am going to remember them as. As Jackson, as Mellish, and as uh, Wade. I just Wade. Wade. Um, it's a movie that's it's a movie that sticks with you, and it did not win Best Picture, but it did win a bunch of other awards at the seventy first annual Academy Awards in March of nineteen ninety nine. And we are going to take a very short break, and you're going to listen to Spielberg accept his second director award. And when we come back, we are going to. Talk about those awards. Thank you. Am I allowed to say I really wanted this? <laughs> Th- this is fantastic. Um, let me just turn my eyes to, to Mr. Hanks, who from the very, very beginning said to me, this is going to be something extraordinary. Uh, we weren't really talking about the film. We were talking about the experience of making Saving Private Ryan. And he was right. It is one of the most extraordinary events of all of our lives, the lives of all of our families. We're all in it together. Um, Katie, for uh, putting up with how much I've worried about this movie for the last 18 months, thank you for for letting me be a neurotic at home. And and all my children, I have two kids here tonight, and they've never been to the Oscars before, and I'm really happy I had a chance to make Max and Theo proud of their dad. And they're sitting up there somewhere. Thank you kids very, very much. And my other kids at home, Michaela and Destry and Sasha and Sawyer and Jessica, who's here too. Uh, 
this has just been an amazing experience. And what I'd like to do is just thank very, very sincerely the families who lost sons in World War II. I want to thank the Nyland family and the Sullivan families. And I want to thank all the families who incurred these tremendous losses in this war. We tried to show a story of one such family, and it turned out that there were many such families, unfortunately. Um, and Dad, you're the greatest. Thank you for showing me that there is honor in looking back and respecting the past. I love you very much. This is for you. Thank you. You just heard Steven Spielberg accepting his Best Director Award. Um, it was his second. He won a uh, first for Schindler's List back in 1993. Saving Private Ryan would pick up a total of five awards. Unfortunately, not one of those is Best Picture. But Matt, what else did it grab that year? Yeah, so other than uh, the Best Director Award, which we sort of alluded to, I think a much well-deserved Best Director Award um, oh, yeah. for sure. This is a large movie to wrangle, and uh, we can sort of get into the the contrast that Spielberg works with really well here. This is a large-scale film, but it's really intimate at the same time, and that's really a difficult uh, balancing act, and I think that's why I think that the award is well deserved. Uh, likewise, with the, the the next one, the cinematography, best cinematography by, and I always think I'm pronouncing his first name wrong, but is it? How would you say it? Janus. Uh, yeah, Janus. That's yeah, way. Yeah. yeah, that's that's way sexier than I would have said it. <laughs> yeah, Janus uh, Kaminsky. Yeah, who's a I think is Spielberg's DP for. He still is. I yeah, mean. yeah, L- long time. Yeah, um, yeah, long time DP. I think. This was this may this was either their first or second collaboration together. On, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they do great work together. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And particularly in this film, I remember reading somewhere that it. Uh, I think it was probably Roger Ebert's review. He talks about how it it resembles um, like newsreel footage, but it balances that with the ability to sort of know what you're looking at, to know where you are at all times, and that's a really again oh, a yeah. very difficult balancing act. Um, it oh, yeah. uses. It's- for other people, for people who are you know more modern film fans, it sort of uses uh, shaky cam in the best way possible. Yeah, it was, it, uh, I had in, in my notes it was born before born. Yeah, um, yep. it it introduced this aesthetic and does it so fantastically. And we will talk more about that when we get into the movie the movie itself. But uh, moving on from the for the awards it picked up. Yeah, you got two uh, two sort of interconnected awards uh, with some interlapping um, winners, right? Best sound. And uh, best effects, sound effects, editing. Um, mm-hmm. Gary Rydstrom, I feel like works with Skywalker yeah, Sound. Yeah, he did. Um, he, I think he did all the stuff for Star Wars. I think so. Yeah, yeah that's really that's a, yeah. It's he's like he's the sound guy. Spielberg works with top of the top talent. Yes, yes, he does. Rydstrom's definitely. There's this one. It's one scene. It's um like their their first little little sequence. It's it's raining. It's raining out, and the, you hear the the rain pouring down. And then suddenly, it like the gunfire starts to blend in uh, with it. It's just uh, it's so it's so perfect. You all you, do, you almost don't even notice it happens. You're like this. That's oh, it's so beautiful. great. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And speaking of beautiful things done with uh, the art, the craft of film, the last one is uh, another well deserved win, and that is best film editing by uh, Michael Kahn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, I just saw it, and it literally was my knee-jerk reaction to <laughs> Yeah, Michael Kahn, who, again, I believe is a longtime Spielberg editor, right? Col- collabo. Collabo. Yeah. Lots of collabos. <laughs> and this was the last film to win Best Editing using a non-digital machine. So he oh. was Michael Kahn had actual film, and he was cutting it reel-to-reel. Yeah. And he came up with this brilliantly edited piece of of work that oh. uh, is um, a, just an achievement. I like, dude. I suck at Final Cut Pro, and like, I could never, like, like, I could barely edit, you know, two pieces of conversation together. So to do something like this is on actual film is, yep. I, 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 it's like I don't understand it. It's like I, it's it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Agreed. Yes. Um, so it won five. It was nominated for a total of 11. Uh, best picture, obviously, being one of them. Mm. Sad to say. Uh, mm-hmm. what, uh, what else did it uh, pick up? Uh, best actor in a leading role for Tom Hanks. Okay. Uh, who, uh, who was killing it at this time? Yeah. Yes, he, he was, had so. Back to back in 93, 94, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump. And he was nominated oh. again in uh, 95 for Apollo 13. And I think it was two years off. And then it was this. So he, he like the mid nineties was, I think almost peak Tom Hanks right there. Killing it. Just killing it, dude. Killing Great it. killing it. Lost, uh, lo- ultimately lost to Roberto Benigni for La Vita e Belle, Life is Beautiful. Yes. Another, another fantastic film. Uh, we had uh, best writing. I think there was a screenplay written directly for screen. That was the aforementioned Robert Rodat, uh-huh. who also wrote <laughs> a similarly uh, content-wise film, The Patriot, but a very ridiculous film that I, I like. It has very it has a lot of similarities to Saving Private Ryan and sort of the 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 breadth of it, the scope of the film. But it is it's almost like comic booky in comparison, and that shows you what an excellent writer what can happen to an excellent writer's work. When the wrong director sort of handles the material, right? <laughs> I thought you, I thought you were going to say "Fly Away Home" because I think he did that as well. He he might have. Is that the? <laughs> is that the, the? It's the one with the Anna Paquin and the yes, and the, okay. the geese. The geese. Oh God! And she's in like a bathtub at one point. I, I don't. Uh, know. Uh, God. Okay. Well, Robert wrote that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, we had best art direction, set direction. Thomas uh, Sanders and Lisa Dean. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that. Something else that should have won. I guess right. it's not a pretty movie, though. So yeah, uh, with the, with the with the next with this one, uh, writing and the the other one, makeup. I think Shakespeare and Love picked those up, and I'll Please. I'll give them the screen. I give them the screenplay. Just hands. I will give Shakespeare and Love the screenplay. It's a brilliant screenplay. It's slick. But art direction, makeup, like there's, especially makeup, like dude, there is some like serious prosthetics work going on yes. here. It's um. Very, it's very impressive, and uh, at, at times subtle, but at times very, um, almost too realistic, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's 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 absolutely brutal. So yeah, you mentioned the makeup, and then the last uh, nomination was was best uh, music original dramatic score from the great John Williams. So I, I will say. Uh, awards wise, I think was really he underplays the film. I think, and that's the right decision. He doesn't make it this sort of like um, he doesn't have like this poppy sort of theme that you're going to remember because that would seem to sort of be not tasteful to the, the content on hand. Um, so it's not a flashy score, uh, which she's very capable of, but I think oh, it's, yeah. it sort of perfectly suits everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, I did buy the soundtrack 
almost as soon as it was av- as it was available mm. and the uh the title track him to the fallen um mm-hmm. with the horns and the uh the, the the subtle strings oh yeah i i have to say it's one of my favorite pieces of music from john williams and he has made some of the most identifiable yes theme, uh, theme songs in cinema history uh, which yeah. i think is saying something uh he uh he lost to nicola piovani Mm-hmm. Who did the ex- also equally excellent score for Life is Beautiful? And love John Williams. John Williams is always going to be in contention, pretty much. He's, he's like the Meryl Streep of composers. <laughs> he's always going to be there. He had won a bunch of times before. So I, I will give Life is Beautiful that, but the, the score to Saving Private Brian is um, easily top five Williams, maybe top three. And yeah, and. But you know, all of those don't matter without the best picture to go along with it. Sad, mm. uh, sad to say, but mm-hmm. uh, the film was nominated for a SAG Ensemble because it is quite a it's a strong cast piece. But I, that too lost to Shakespeare in Love. Mm. Ah, sad. Mm-hmm. But the joke, but the joke is on it. In 2014, the film was selected by the National Film Registry for historic preservation for oh, yeah. its cultural. And historic value, I don't believe Shakespeare in Love is in that list just yet. So it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just that's another interesting tidbit mm-hmm. for you. Uh, yeah, we've uh, discussed the Oscars in the previous um, the previous episode, Shakespeare in Love. If you want to hear more about that? Go ahead and listen. In the meantime, we are going to take a break, and then we're probably going to have an extremely long discussion about Saving Private Ryan, and I have been looking forward to this for 51 episodes. So it's going to be... I like. I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be a good mm-hmm. one. I'm not trying to, not trying to over, overplay this, but Two of my stick around. They woke me up in the middle of the night. They said they had a surprise for me. So they took me to the barn up into the loft, and there was my oldest brother, Dan. With Alice, Alice Jardine. <laughs> I mean, picture a girl who just took a nosedive from the ugly tree and hit every branch coming down. <laughs> and Dan's got her shirt off. So he's working on this bra and he's trying to get it off. And all of a sudden, John just screams out. Danny, you're a young man. Don't do it. <laughs> And so Alice Jardine hears this and she screams and she jumps up and she tries to get running out of the barn, but she's still got this shirt over her head. She goes running right into the wall and knocks herself out. <laughs> so now Dan is just so mad at us. He, he, he starts coming after us. But, but at the same time, Alice is over there unconscious. He's got to wake, wake her up. So he grabs her by a leg and he's, dra- he's dragging her. At the same time, he picks up a shovel and he's going after Sean. And Sean's saying, what are you trying to hit me for? I just did you a favor. <laughs> and so this makes Dan more angry. He tries to swing this thing. He loses the shovel, goes out of his grasp, and hits a kerosene lantern. The thing explodes. The whole barn almost goes up because of this thing. (sighs) 
that was it. That was the last. That was Dan went off to basic the next day. That was the last night the four of us were together. That was two years ago. For those of you who don't quite remember, it has been almost twenty years. Matt, what is the IMDb synopsis for Saving Private Ryan? It says, following the Normandy landings, which is D-Day, a group of U.S. soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. I will have to say that is very straight to the point. Um, yeah. Yeah, kind of misses out on some of the some of the things Spielberg and Rodat are trying to trying to say, but largely that, yep, they, they have a mission and that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically what happens... Um, the historical context is that there were the Sullivan brothers who were all ab- aboard a battleship of some sort, and they were killed, and there were I believe, five of them. There's five, a song yes. about it. It probably played at the top of the episode. And so the uh, army suddenly, United States government, thought these we should really not be killing off entire generations of young men in their families, so let's not if there are a lot of a lot of them around and some of, a lot of them have died, we should really pull one of them out. So it's slightly based on historical context. I believe there was an there was more of an actual incident that uh, Rodat drafted this off of. But uh, the even the, the Sullivan incident uh, incident is even mentioned in the mentioned film. in the movie, yeah, mentioned, mentioned in the movie. <clears throat> which is good. I think that's good. I feel like sometimes when they do that, it's like we came up with this, but no, I like that they mention it. It's so it's sort of this interesting like. You know, it's a, it's historical fiction in a way, but it's yeah. also it's partially historical nonfiction. I think that's right. the is that the a sole survivor policy. Is that what it's called? Yes, that is. Okay. What, I believe that's what. I'm trying to remember the name called. of the actual thing they came up with. Yeah, right. But yes. um, so <clears throat> Matt, um, mm-hmm. let's begin at the beginning. Oh yeah, very good place to start. <laughs> so the first twenty five minutes of Saving Private Ryan are among I would I I really have to say among the most harrowing in film history. <laughs> Uh, after a short scene of a unidentified old man uh, in France who was marching along the Normandy grave uh, graveyard with his uh, family, we cut to the Allied invasion on June 6, 1944, D-Day, and are treated to, um, I don't think horrors really, it, it doesn't feel like it has enough gravitas mm-hmm. to describe what we see. Chaos, the... Just, madness insanity of war for the next 25 minutes um matt how does this scene how does this whole sequence play out for you now is it as impactful now more impactful less impactful how does it make you feel i i think to to the the question of impact i i think it's hard to with a lot of movies it's hard to sort of recreate that first time viewing experience particularly with such a bravura opening like this but i will say even if it is lessened a little bit kind of knowing what's coming and historically knowing what's coming i think this movie still has an opening that just can't help but sort of punch you in the gut every time you see it it's just the second those uh higgins boats open up oh. the first group of guys are mowed down you just can't not sort of feel the like you said the insanity of war i think that's really well put and you're immediately sort of thrown into this and you know you're sort of recognizing the main characters you know tom hanks clearly but you you don't really know who the central figures are other than him and you're sort of watching potential ones get whittled down right. until 
you sort of see the group that you're going to be with for the remainder of the film. Um, so even just structurally, it's just incredibly effective in, in terms of a narrative, uh, in terms of a way of sort of throwing you into that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still, it still just kicks your ass completely. I think. Uh, agreed. I, I knew all, I think I, cause I'd seen this movie so many times that I knew kind of all of the, the moments like the, the Higgins boat thing. I, I that's still just the, the way the sound just hits the bodies mm-hmm. like sacks of meat and the pings mm-hmm. off the, off the metal. It's just, it's harrowing. And, and now I'm thinking these guys trained for months, if not years to get to this point, only to be just mowed down callously. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, Oh, it's so fucked up. It's a waste of resources, yeah. terrible waste of life. Uh-huh. Um, so I, so I remember all these, but, but now I'm, and it's like I may be pulling the the dad card a little bit, but I'm seeing this as not as soldiers, but like yeah, shit. These are all sons. Kids, and, these are all yeah. sons right here, and the they're husbands, just, yeah. just they're just dying by yeah. the the score. They're j- jumping over. They're they're not, some of them are not even shot. They're just drowning. They're getting caught on wires. They're getting blown up. You just, there are so many moments here that stand out because they just they just hit you they like you said they just punch you in the gut like there's that the guy who has his arm blown off and yeah he's just oh, look, he's just oh. looking for it there's tom hanks dragging <laughs> dragging that guy who's like who could make it but then he's you know there's an explosion and he now he's just driving you know dragging half a corpse it's it's all so brutal and um tough you don't want to look away but at the same time you're you just want to you, you because you know that they get that you know we win we 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 win the whole war that you know that like okay well you know this is the most pivotal pivotal battle in like modern warfare and it's it's so important that and we we win the day but jesus christ you know spielberg he makes you earn that earn mm-hmm. that victory they mm-hmm. fight every inch um as i recall filming for this they did not storyboard it at all. They just said, we're just going to run through it. And however the action happens, we're just going to film that. Uh, they spent $12 million on the sequence alone, 1,500 extras. A lot of um, Irish Reserve uh, folks were on hand. Uh, t- gallons and gallons of fake blood. They hired dudes with with no limbs and gave them prosthetic limbs so they could blow things off more effectively. Mm-hmm. It's <clears throat> it's from from a strictly technical level like this sequence alone could a be its own podcast episode and b deserves the director cinematography and editing and all of the all of the things that won this movie won it won in the first 25 minutes of it absolutely hands down it's um absolutely incredible but that brings mm-hmm. me to the next um <clears throat> the next question is that they say no movie is uh, you make a war movie, you're making an anti-war movie because war is war is hell, and no movie really shows the brutality and hell of war. However, at the same time, it's still a movie and it's made to entertain. And after this sequence, uh, which is brilliant and whatnot, there are a lot of Hollywood moments here. And do you think is is the criticism that you know is lobbed at Spielberg that sometimes it is actually, in fact, glorifying war? Do you think that is justified? 
No, I don't. And I, and I, and I say this as a, a big fan of, you know, action films in general. It's sort of easy to get lost in the the technical, like, badassery of these large-scale sequences. Um, you know, we can talk about sort of the finale of the film, which I think is a more sort of traditionally structured, albeit fantastically done, um, sort of action sequence with a lot of lot at stake and just a lot of tragedy as well. And it still contains a lot of that sort of um, brutality and insanity that, that are in the opening sequence. But I don't think, <laughs> I think if, <clears throat> if you're looking at Spielberg's sort of his message, I think right off the bat, he, he shows you sort of warts and all these soldiers, particularly these American soldiers and the, the, the different ways they would act, uh, the, the racism inherent in war, the, the sort of cruelty on everybody's side inherent in war. Um, but there's still what you have to sort of realize in the context of this film <clears throat> is the context of the history. We weren't just we weren't going over to France to to take over France. We were going for for many reasons, mainly these these sort of blanket humanitarian reasons. These sort of ridiculously insane injustices were happening, and we sort of felt the need, you know, spearheaded by things like uh, Pearl Harbor, but we sort of felt the need to step in and sort of and rectify these problems. And if, and the loss of life is just is mind-boggling but i i don't think you can look at it as 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 he's glorifying and i think that's that's sort of subjective to the person i think if you watch it and your blood gets pumping and you get into it and you're excited that's sort of you you need to sort of step back for a second and realize you're not you know this is not a fun movie it's not supposed to be fun in in those sequences i think the film itself objectively is showcasing war for all that it is um, but I don't think it's it's pushing this sort of pro-war piece. And I was reminded watching it of um, uh, Stanley Kubrick's film, uh, Passive Glory from 1957, which was banned yeah. in France for many years. And it's very clearly an anti-war film. I mean, there's there's literally like an anti-war agenda going on through it. And you were talking about battle sequences, and there's a, an extended scene in that in the trenches, uh, sort of in no man's land. That's just insanely brutal for 1957. It reminds me a lot of this film. And a lot of people had the same sort of complaint for Kubrick, although it was reversed. They said, why weren't you making like this chest thumping war film uh, post-World War II? Why did you make an anti-war film? And he was like, what? <laughs> why didn't I make a pro-war film? Are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? Um, I don't know. Maybe I got lost in my argument there, but I don't think it's glorifying war. I think it's just showing it for, for what it's worth. Okay. And I think, yeah, that's what yeah. I think. But, Maybe glorifying is the wrong word, but in showing, like, uh, I always go to the sniper battle between Barry Pepper and the and the German German sniper. That there is, there's kind of a cool factor there because I like if anyone's if anyone's a cool character, it's it's Barry Pepper's Jackson. I think mm. he's like you know, he's the sniper. The snipers are always like he's the, he's the, he's the he's the guy you play in in Call of Duty and Medal of Honor and and whatnot. And so maybe glorification isn't the right term but he at the end of the day this is this is still a movie and it still has to enter it has to entertain for like almost three hours and no it doesn't glorify but i still think there are there's a lot of things that if you are the right person and perhaps i am one of them that you can misconstrue as being isn't that awesome and i'm sure recruitment numbers potentially could have spiked after this Mm. after this movie is is, Mm -hmm. i guess i guess is 
what uh, what I'm trying to say. It's 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 just very odd because when you show something, you give it, and you're trying to speak out against it, you kind of give it power. It's like it's sometimes sometimes you just want to you know the best way to avoid you know to de- decrease the power of something is to ignore it, but then you know, nobody knows about it, and you know mm. all sorts of evil can crop up out of that. And it's it's very it's a very fine line. And Spielberg he walks it, he threads the needle, he does whatever other metaphor you want to use for that. Mm-hmm. But it it can it can't be hard. And you're right, it does depend on the viewer itself. I know a lot of World War some World War II veterans they you know they couldn't they couldn't finish even the opening sequence but others were like this is you know this is propaganda rubbish that uh, maybe I'm probably paraphrasing there it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I was like well, I'm always surprised by how divisive this movie can be in terms of that because I'm like it's clearly like war is god awful it's, it's mm-hmm. the worst and um I think uh, I want to move on to the characters and. Uh, we were talking before about you know speaking of that theme is that uh, we have all the we have these this great core this great little core squad of 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 guys you have the sniper you have the medic you have you know the the bar operator and Edward Burns the guy from Brooklyn and we get them but this this time around I focused on Upham uh, played by the great uh, great Jeremy Davies who's kind of who is brought in last minute because they lost their translator just a couple days earlier. And he is I I never realized this. He's us. He's the audience here. He's um well, let me write down. He's the guy who has written who's going to write a book about this. He thinks that war is uh important in some way. And uh wait, so yeah, he's our audience cyber care. He's um He'd be he'd be playing Call of Duty and thinking about how glorious and heroic war is. Uh, he's writing a book on the Brotherhood that forms during combat, despite he has never actually seen it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like he's the he's a character who has the most arc in here. Everyone else is kind of fully formed. They're here and they're mm-hmm. here to do a mission. But he is, um, he has to go through. He has to go through. He has to see a lot. Uh, he learns uh, firsthand that there is um, nothing, absolutely nothing gl- glorious about. Uh, any of this and i think uh at the very end when he sees what uh the person who he you know tried to save did to, did to him and he exacts his you know final final revenge i think i don't like i don't think that book is actually getting written or if it mm-hmm. does get written it's going to be very very different very different <laughs> um, but i but i will say i will say this about upham uh he does have the best uh shooting to kill ratio in this movie if i can use a if I use it because he he only he fires one shot he fires mm-hmm. one shot and he gets he gets one kill and it's uh, in some ways the most impact impactful kill because that's mm-hmm. that he's firing away his his innocent notions yeah. of what that is and Davies as you say he plays it uh, she's she's phenomenal in this movie if you wanted to expand on that yeah no I, I we we sort of precursor this conversation just briefly and i and i had also focused on upham who, who I, I had always focused on to a to a point but i just really wanted to focus on him um i don't know because i think that there's the precedent of, of having this conversation i wanted to sort of take a, a new angle um not that we're the first people to talk about upham in in you know like this but his his arc is is fascinating, um, like you'd said, Steve. The and you, just to go back to your comment about um, the, the sniper character Jackson. All these characters, uh, other than Upham, basically are playing 
types we've seen a million times. Um, Spielberg directs them beautifully. Uh, Rodat writes them wonderfully. So they all have this, they all have characterization. You sort of know exactly who they are within like 40 minutes uh, and 25 minutes of that is just insanity. So to, to, to learn about the sort of dynamic between these, these people is crazy. So um, Upham comes in and like you said, he's, he's basically us. He doesn't know what he's going to be seeing. Uh, we do a little bit. So we sort of are privileged as the audience. We sort of know what he's getting into and we know it's not going to be pretty, but then Spielberg and Rodat always pause for these really, sort of fantastic moments uh, with him. And, and you already mentioned that, you know, sort of this, his final sequence, but the scene that really like, just, I love, I always liked it, but I just loved it this time is this, is the scene when he, uh, Horvath and I think Rybin are listening to Edith Piaf's, Piaf sing and he's, he's uh, translating for them mm-hmm. and, and Mellish is there too, I believe. And they're, it's, it's framed just them for a fairly extended period of time. It's a, just a wonderful conversation. It's this kind of beautiful calm before the storm. It, it's kind of uh, echoed with a, a scene between uh, Miller and Ryan, Private Ryan. Um, but I just love Jeremy Davies still has this sort of, he's seen these things already. It's gotten bad, but he, it's not as bad as it's going to be for him. And he sort of still has this innocence. And you're looking at him like, oh, sweet baby, it's going to be really bad for you. It's going to get even worse. And there's something just so. I just love his character. And, and, I, and I think Roger Ebert said something along the lines of, we might want to think that we're Ryben or Miller or Horvath or Mellish or Jackson, but we really aren't. We're up them. Like 99% right. of us are up them. Even if we don't want to admit it, that's the guy we relate to. We were watch, I was watching the movie with my wife and she was like, oh, get up there. Like, stop him. What are you doing, man? Get over there with the bullets. Like, do what you got to do. And, and then I'm looking at her like, would you be able to do that? And she's like, no, I wouldn't. I'm like, see what I mean? Like, it's that's what's yeah. brilliant about that character, and Davies just plays him plays right. him wonderfully. I mean, and and to and to see him after um after the the Mellish fight, which which we'll get into, that oh. the the German comes down and he sees Upham there. Upham has a gun. He's loaded down with with ammo, and the German does nothing, and Upham eh. does nothing. You could see Upham's resolve, like everything he thought he knew, just like melt away in his oh. face. Oh, and it's just. Just it it breaks it breaks my it breaks my heart every yeah. time because um one of the one of, one of the things I that always annoys me about war movies is that I can never really tell who anybody is because they're all mm. they're all grunts and whatnot but mm-hmm. um Rodat and Spielberg they a cast very well that's beyond a doubt but also they're um, more than the violent moments which are certainly memorable. The, all these quiet moments where it's just got the little the little bits of character come through in the dialogue. I love the way Rybin and Mellish kind of blow kisses to each other in that, <laughs> in that way that only straight dudes do. Yes. Somehow. It's, 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 um, but uh, it's you get a sense of camaraderie and it's like and it's earned so quickly. There's a sense of history with these characters yeah. like they didn't just meet well i mean like they they just met up them but they've been through a lot of shit together and they are oh yeah they're battle tested and um and i do love how despite it being a, it's a large ensemble um everyone gets their moment mm-hmm. everyone gets their moment to shine whether it's yeah. uh you know many t- many times it's a death scene sure um vin, this is vin diesel's first major role and he has uh, just a 
one of many heartbreaking death scenes when he gets picked up picked <laughs> up by a sniper and you're like oh just stay down and they um jackson almost we almost get to him in time but it, no and then there's the, the the subplot of the cursed note that everybody who writes it you know ends up dying it's true yeah. it happens and then you have wade and this is the one that gets me i think all the time because uh rubisi is a very unappreciated actor mm-hmm. and he's just he's just crying for his mom mm. like man like even back then when i was 15 and like didn't give a fuck about anything like mm-hmm. that still that gets me um <laughs> oh but, it's it's gut-wrenching literally it's it's yeah it's yeah he's shot in the gut but like some of the other other guys you got um well you have Mel- Melish's fight scene is uh one of the hardest to watch just because it's so slow yeah oh, the that, way it happens that, I mean, yeah the, yes. yeah the way the german soldier is is, is pushing pushing the knife in Slowly. and i i don't know what he says because it's in german i'm sure there's a translation it's a, it's a lullaby i think he's like it's like something I, I think i read somewhere it's he's whispering like a lullaby so even in this like weird moment he's still like a sociopath yeah, like right. <laughs> it's a, a sociopath or just like or or is it a kindness because he's just saying, i don't know I, it's I, it's so hard it's so hard to tell because you know a lot of the, a lot i mean a lot of the german soldiers they weren't I mean, they were all Nazis, but some are far more Nazi than others. Right. <laughs> I like sure. the way you put that. <laughs> yeah. There's a Nazi scale. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's definitely there's definitely a Nazi scale. Yeah. And um, let's see. Ed Burns has uh, he has his um, moment of where he he almost leaves. He almost um, goes AWOL. Yep. He's just like the hell with this. Screw Ryan. And all you know. Very. He's very Brooklyn. He's very Brooklyn. Like, I'm sure my daughter will know guys like him because they're, they all live in Brooklyn. Horvath, you know, Tom Sizemore just, you know, he has lots of great moments with Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks has, you know, he owns this movie completely. I would follow that man I would too. to wherever. If he wants me to assault a radar station, sure. Sign so, me up. So three three quick things just while on the subject of, of characters. One, uh, Tom Hanks' character, I always loved it, but he connects even more so with me now because he's an English teacher, yeah. and that's what I do. And I just imagine, like, would I be able to turn into that guy? Like after, a, you know, he's there for a while. He's, he's, I mean, he's talked about 94 men he's lost right under his, yeah. under his command. And I, I, I just don't know if I'd have that kind of resolve. So that thing, that just really hit home. And you're talking about these really subtle moments. Uh, so, and two stand out to me. One, I had never really thought about before. And one, I always loved the one I always loved is, is again with Giovanni Ribisi's Wade. It's the scene that sort of sets up his death scene. He's talking about his mother coming home at night, and he says, you know, he would sometimes try to wait up for her, and that's how he would fall asleep. And then she she came home one night, and he just didn't. She was there, and he didn't say anything to her. And I feel like we have those moments as kids. We just sort of do things, and we don't really know why we're doing it, but it sort of breaks our heart when we're older. Like we don't realize why we did something like that. Yeah. Um, and I love that scene, and then it sets up the, his death scene beautifully it, it hits even harder in that moment yeah. and then the other one that's just super subtle and i, I fucking love it is you're, you're you're introduced to all these characters right you meet sergeant horvath he's like the eight the, the not the atypical the typical hard ass he's the guy that just busts your balls all the goddamn time yeah. he's, he's like the, he's a sergeant for him but also you, you don't want to work for him yeah, he's a Sarge. And you're like, what the fuck is up this guy's ass? Other than the fact that he's in D-Day. But, like, why is he so, he's just so callous all the time? And then the D-Day sequence is nearing the, the, the end of, of, of it, and you see him pack the dirt into the little tin, and you see his bag 
and, and, and he has these little tins that mark the different countries he's been to. And if you notice, it's Italy and Africa, the other two you can see, which means this guy has been doing this for a really long goddamn time. And he's, he's seen a lot of terrible things happen and probably done a lot of terrible things. And it completely went, I, I literally looked at his character entirely different this time around. I was like, oh, no, he's not this guy. Like, he wasn't this guy to begin with. He's sort of been, he's sort of mutated into this Sergeant Horvath we see at this point, right? He always had the resolve to probably become this person. But that's just such a great moment. Like, it's it's just a really great moment that never really hit me uh, like it did this time around. So I yeah. just, wanted to, just wanted to say that. Oh, and I love Tom Sizemore. Warts and all, Tom. Yeah, Tom, Tom. He's a little, he's a little, little, little strange, a little crazy. He but he is, yes, uh, he is, like this. This is a movie where I think of him most fondly. Yeah, this and Heat. I love oh, him. In yeah, Heat. Heat. God, I love everyone. I love everyone in Heat. Yeah, that's another great, uh, <laughs> a great, great, great movie. And I do love a good man on a mission film, which this absolutely yeah. is. It follows the standard pattern: um, action sequence, break, we walk, mm-hmm. sequence, break, walk sequence learn about the characters in between the characters act as the characters would during the action scene um and uh i do, one thing i do like about it is that these aren't supermen these mm-hmm. aren't these are just regular soldiers and they are very very mortal and i appreciate spielberg's willingness to just fucking kill them mm-hmm. and I, I for some reason it always rubs me and i always come back to this but if peter jackson had killed off more of the dwarves, all the unnecessary dwarves in the Hobbit movies. I think we would like them a bit more, and they were because the stakes would be there. They'd also be a bit yeah. shorter. Um, yep. So any any movie that is it's it and it just goes with the unflinching aesthetic that Spielberg and everyone is is going for here. In that war is hell, and it doesn't care who you are. If you're Tom Hanks, you're not going to make it out of this. If you're Edward Burns, sure. Why not? You can you can live. It it, it doesn't really discriminate. It, there's no there's no re, there's no real reason. Well, for Tom Hanks, there is kind of a reason for what happens, and that brings us to the next point: is is that the philosophy and the central premise of the film is what is a single human life worth? You have these eight guys going to save one guy, and they even bring it up like you know why you know why is is he worth eight of us, et cetera, et cetera. And they're, and they lose two of them before they, before they find, they get to Matt Damon and it's on a, on an equal level there. That seems like that's a, that's a bad, bad trade mm-hmm. off I mean, from a, you know, stri- if you're strictly looking strictly at numbers. Um, but ultimately it's worth it because they are, the, you know, Miller assumes command of the unit that's that's guarding the Ramel Bridge, mm-hmm. and they successfully def- well they they hold off the they hold off the Germans in, in, for enough time before I think Patton rolls in with uh, with the you know whatever whoever comes to save save them or right at the very end in a very Spielberg esque moment, mm-hmm. but the the movie is exploring that in a lot of different ways. Um, which I like the 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 question of a worth of a life. You have um, they run across that dude who's in in all those movies that you know and go, oh yeah, that guy, but whose name I never remember. Who was the pilot of the? <laughs> the oh pilot? yeah, he's from Alien Resurrection, and yeah, oh, he has a he has a weird name. He has a really weird name actually. I feel yeah. like. it's it's probably not. It's probably like John Smith. It's so. it's it's probably so. But he's he, <laughs> but he, but he's that guy, and he's he was a pilot for this general who they were trying to protect. They 
yep. put steel plates underneath it so uh his so he wouldn't be shot at from below on the plane but unfortunately that means everything's too heavy and so the plane ended up going down regardless and 22 guys died to protect this one this one man and yes it's a little obvious in the in the movie and i'm not uh, the movie's it's maybe not the most subtle subtle of scripts but you know it's it's very effective you have mm-hmm. there and then finally um the the greatest moral quandary comes with the german soldiers and uh you want to could you talk about what happens there that whole sequence the, the soldier they save is this we're referring to yes they, yeah. they let go they pardon so to speak yes so they, there's this there's this really pivotal sequence where they uh, have to make a choice between um, kind of going around this machine gun nest or attacking it so that uh, you know other groups that go through are not ambushed by this heavily guarded kind of um, machine gun nest that's it's this kind of a satellite setup. Mm-hmm. It's really a great sequence. Um, so they decide uh, against some of the people's better judgments to take it on, and we lose Wade. Um, in in the process, it's a really fantastic scene where we don't actually see a lot of what's happening because Jeremy Davies' character is kind of witnessing it, and we stay behind yeah. with him. This is sort of something that I do love. I, I I I love it when movies do this when they've established all the action, and then they like you don't have to see have what's to see. happening. It's like uh like my favorite bit recently is the Mad Max. He just walks off. Oh, and just and just back with the blood on him, and he's got the like guns and all the ammo. Yeah, and, uh, I, I I just love that because you know right now right now it's more about what like this is Jeremy this is Jeremy Davies like first real yep. time seeing them in action yep. and just he 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 plays it perfectly but Wade dies and there's still one German soldier who is left standing and the uh, the guys are obviously none too pleased about that no, they are not <laughs> they lay into him they lay into him a little bit and the the, the the idea is that they're just going to kill him, right? They're going to have him dig the graves, and then they're going to kill him. And it's this really, uh, I mean, it, you, you get this very nasty vibe from it, right? And, and I, again, that's that's what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago, that we, we sort of relate to the Upham character, because we don't, as much as the, the sort of the revenge part of us is like, Ugh, kill this fucking guy, we, we sort of, I think, in the back of our heads know that that's going to just not make things better. Um, and it's an interesting moment, too, because Spielberg generally chooses to not highlight many of the German soldiers. I mean, right. you you see their sequences, but this is really the, the one where you really see a character. He's a full-blown character. He's not given a name. I think he's actually credited as Steamboat Willie, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> because he, he, he does know some um, English, and he sort of uh, in a in a in a in a, a bid to save his own life, tries to, to appeal to their Americanness. Betty Boop, um, what a dish! Betty Boop, yeah, and they 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 let him go. I think um, up on reasons with Miller mostly. I think Miller's sort of you know out of out of all of them in that moment, he sort of knows um, that they can't do this. Right. Uh, and of course, it ends. It's it's very like Shakespearean in a way. It's very. It ends up being very tragic. Um, at the end, we already discussed the sequence where where this this soldier comes back, and it it's a great scene because you you don't really. I think the first time I saw it, I had no idea what was going to happen. In, in a movie that's very by the numbers in some regards, um, I had no clue what they were going to do. I mean, I I think the first time I saw it, I actually thought that Miller might shoot him, um, just to kind of put him out of his misery. I, I had no clue where it was going to go. So when they let him go. 
I, I remember being very conflicted. You, you mentioned the scene earlier where, where the, the soldier walks by up him and you're like, like do something, something needs to happen. Yeah. And you're, but you're so tense and uncomfortable like he is. And it's just, it's just brilliant. It's, I mean, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's a brilliant setup. It's that still remains brilliant, even though, you know, it's coming. I, I feel like it's, it's even maybe more tragic knowing it's coming because you feel like you could, you almost want to will yourself to like, come on, like change it. Like kill, shoot him. Shoot kill him, him. Kill him. It's going to be way worse later. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, the one life, right? They, they, they save this guy's one life and he ends up causing, um, all this havoc. I mean, right, particularly yeah, he, for, for a few of the characters, right? Um, he, he's the one. He's the one who shoots, who puts the puts the, the finishing touch in. Um, Mellish, right? In, yeah. No, I uh, no, in um, uh, Tom Hanks in Miller. Oh yes, he does. Yeah, yes, he, yeah, he does. He, yeah, he does that. Wow, and 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 I actually, I had forgotten that. I, I remember him stabbing Mellish, but I forgot that he's the one who. He didn't. Uh, uh, no, he, uh, he did not. He did not stab Mellish. It that wasn't was, him. That was that was just that, that that was a random guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, but no, yeah, no. But he, but no good deed goes unpunished because, like, what do you do in that situation? You can't, you can't take this prison. You can't take a prisoner. You're on a, right. You're on a mission like behind enemy line or in German, you know, occupied territory. You can't shoot him because he's right now unarmed, and that uh, under, I believe, the Articles of War from the Geneva Convention, that is murder. And this is also a Spielberg movie, right. and so to sh- if you shoot him. You are you. These characters are suddenly stained morally, and you. It's hard to and like you. You'll still root for them, but it's a little. These guys are. I'd rather hear about them debating the points of to you know to live or to you know, to kill rather mm. than rather than them choosing kill. I th- mm-hmm. I think it's a stronger. It's a stronger point for the theme of the story about the worth of one life, and it's better for. And it's better for Upham, and it's better for his character development that he lives and comes back and essentially betrays him. He was ordered, you know, he was ordered by a superior officer, albeit from the enemy, to report to the nearest Allied uh, unit and to give himself up. And uh, he doesn't, and he gets picked up by the Axis, the Germans, and comes back and ultimately kills kills Miller for all the kindness that Miller afforded him. It's it's I'm, I'm like. I'm sure he was. He obviously was not thinking that, but it's. Uh, but because I think it's even worse because he was not thinking that because it's just oh that's that's a, that's an out that's right. a that's an American I need to shoot him and and it just it's powerful and uh, really ah uh, it makes you wonder. Of all the questions, the question I have written down here is what would you have done? Would you have let him go? I know, yeah, I, I think my I think my gut says yes. My gut says yeah. I, I think even knowing what's going to happen, I, I think it was the sort of right decision. I, I think it's. I'm saying that from the comfort of my computer chair, right. leaning back, um, drinking an iced coffee. But I, I do think that in the moment, knowing my personality, I, I would I would not want his blood on my hands, or I just I don't think I would. Particularly yeah. after seeing such a horrible thing. Um, I don't know that that would be okay with it. I think there's a part of me that's like, kill the fucking guy, but um, right. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I think I think no, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, Steve. Yeah, well, it, it it's hard to say because obviously we know what happens. We know the not karmic, uh, karmic justice that sort of 
injustice that happens. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're presented in the moment, it's like the question of do you kill this one person with the belief that they might go like in in like in letting them live would cause more damage. So how do you weigh the moral and ethical cost to this one action when generally like letting like choosing life is a good thing, but sometimes it's not and it's it's so weird and you know and they don't have all the information they just know that there's this one soldier and they can't yeah, legally they can't kill him but i don't think anyone's gonna snitch right if they did anyways uh and it's, it's it's a brilliant scene that leads to um a the, the a great speech by uh tom hanks who just lays out his history and what this mission means to him and it's not a mission just to save private Ryan. It's a mission to get home, like mm-hmm. to, to, to earn the, you know, to, to earn, to earn, to earn his way back, you know, back to the home front. And, uh, it unfortunately never happens, which, uh, which does bring us to Matt Damon and private Ryan, which, uh, first of all, there was a fake private Ryan played by captain Mel Reynolds, Nathan Fillion. And, uh, my note here was, well, that's what you get when you have the whitest white boy name ever. <laughs> You're going to have fuck ups like this. And also James Francis Ryan, like you're never supposed to trust guys with two with two first names. He's got three first three. names. Like I, it's like <laughs> no nah, man, I can't, I can't do it. I just couldn't do it. But um, how how is Damon in this? He's always he's always a little kind of iffy for me at times. Yeah, I think he. I feel like I, I remember reading that Spielberg wanted an unknown, unaware that you know Goodwill Hunting and Damon's popularity would would sort of soar. Um, so he he sort of stout. Um, even at the time, I think I I, I was aware of who he was. Um, so so he sort of stands out in that regard. I think it probably would have been well. I think his intentions. I think Spielberg's intentions were correct to choose sort of an unknown mm-hmm. to have him sort of yeah. not be the standout guy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he, he doesn't make or break the movie for me, but he doesn't get a ton of um, he doesn't get a ton of love for me. I really like his scene with Miller where he's talking about the last day his brothers <laughs> spent together. It's still a really funny scene that both Steph and I were, were like in tears laughing during. It's <laughs> yeah. very, very, it's very, very it's funny. funny. <laughs> he gets really into it. It's It seems like it's genuine. I like that when the battle begins, um, you know, Ryan sticks to his guns literally and, and, and helps out. He's a, he's a kind of a key player in some regards in the battle. Um, I like that he doesn't, uh, just sort of run away. Um, but I think I, I, he doesn't, he doesn't blow my mind that I don't think he's supposed to, I think he's so, so, so kind of supposed to be neutral. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to feel yay or nay a hundred percent about him because, we've spent so much time with these other, these other characters that when we meet Ryan, we're, we are just like, they are sort of resentful towards them. We're like, this is what, this is what they've been doing this for. We had to lose Wade and Caparzo because of this guy. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's, maybe it was unintentional or unintentional or, or intentional on Spielberg's part. I know it was as far as the actors go. I think, I think they sort of kept Matt Damon separated from them so that they sort of didn't, Oh no! It was they all had to go through like basic training, and Matt Damon did not have to go through it, and they knew it. Yeah. So they were presentable that he didn't have to do that, which was obviously a perfect sort of primer to get them angry at him. (laughs) (laughs) And it's I mean, if I'm not being, I like Matt Damon, but it's it's sort of easy to look at him and just be like, "Fuck you, Matt Damon!" Like, God damn it. (laughs) 
soon to be Academy Award winner Matt yeah. Damon. Matt no, Damon. <laughs> Sorry, it was coming at some. That's it. No, I I was thinking it too. Like, oh, he's Matt Damon. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he, uh, he's he's very good. That 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 scene where I, th- I think it's like an off the cuff improv scene about the story is is great. And I I he's ultimately he's a character that I'm he's worth going through all this for like mm-hmm. you know like he he gives a speech about how he's like you know my brother's you know my brother's died and so I'm not gonna you know I'm I'm here with my with the only family I have left and I'm not gonna abandon them when the enemy is so close and like it prompts more more discussions like well yeah this like this private Ryan he brought us here to this one moment and we're going to and we're going to make the most of it. And they, they helped, you know, they helped. I mean, the battle of Rommel never actually happened. It's not a real place, but you know, they, that certainly helped change the tide of war. You need bridges to get your shit over places. So it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's important. And it's like, it's, it's all worth it. The cost, the people they lose is worth it for the greater effort of stopping the Nazis. <laughs> preventing adolf hitler from taking over europe it's 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 all it's all you gotta sometimes you gotta look look beyond and like we know the outcome at, you know of the war but these characters don't um and so the you know the ethics of one man you know like one man can make a difference you don't know how exactly how, right? how exactly <laughs> but sometimes like you know the search for them brings you to the place that you need to be ultimately in the end and yeah. um yeah, and and in the end, Saving Private Ryan was a heavy favorite to win Best Picture. It did not, uh, and we are. I'm sure we can talk. We can go into so much more about this, but um, the question we have to ask here on these episodes of For Your Reconsideration is: Did S- Saving Private Ryan deserve to win? Matt Marchetti. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've loved this movie since it came out. I've been uh, very vocal about my feelings about that fact that it should have won. Um, I think that you can watch it in uh, 2017 and it still feels fresh, like a fucking open wound. Um, and it still gets you, you know, it's still you find yourself crying. You find yourself feeling um inspired i i am uh, admittedly not a patriotic human being um i have not been in particular definitely i'm not now necessarily in some regards um but this movie i you know and 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 in the world war ii in general um sort of revs up that particular part of my engine that that patriotism when you see that you're talking about the sacrifice these guys um had to put forth these these teachers and, and whoever they were um at home um, it, it just feels really powerful in every regard and, 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 and the technique the film was made and it just, it's just so fucking good. You can't, you can't get enough of this movie in a strange way. There's sort of this, like, like the lizard part of my brain is like, yes, limbs will fly and bullets will go and it's going to be crazy. But then the part of my brain that's like, oh, the, I, I get so emotionally invested in this film and it. I mean, t- almost what twenty years? It's still fantastic. I mean, I was I, I was trying to scrutinize the hell out of this movie, and I think there was like one scene that 
stood out to me. It's 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 a, it's a really short sequence where they're they're kind of the soldiers are silhouetted walking over uh, yeah, this bombed out landscape. That's that's definitely like composited not that well. Um, but man, the rest of it it could have been made yesterday, and I don't think it would really look any different. I mean, it could look different, you know what I mean? But like just the way the film was made, it it just holds up. Storytelling, I mean, everything. This this movie. 100% deserve to win Best Picture for, for many, many reasons. Historical significance. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. Yeah. But yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Um, to um, no one's surprise, I would have to say that, yes, I do think Saving Private Ryan should have won. Um, I would I would also make, the, we could probably make a strong case for any of the other nominees to. The Thin Red Line is an incredible piece of art and it features... Like that's a movie I just put on sometimes just to look at. That's gorgeous. It's it's, it's fucking gorgeous. It's amazing. Yes, it but this is a this is a, this has threads of a story to it at least. And that thin red line kind of sort of doesn't. Well, it does, but yeah, right, right, right. No, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, um, if you see a Malcolm, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and and yeah, it has been twenty years, and I'm surprised by how it has not diminished. I was thinking like, oh, it's been years i am a much different person than last time i saw this and nope it from practically the soon as soon as the uh, the higgins boats open i am i'm back in i am yep. shocked i am terrorized i'm horrified i am cry- i'm crying at this, just the random random things just the, the, the men wailing on the beach it's mm-hmm. like it's it just it's hits me at the uh there's so much humanity to be found in such an inhuman lace as the battlefield and i think spielberg understands that um better than anyone else what you know what you can do what you can find out there on the battlefield and and um i do have to say the legacy of of saving private ryan if if nothing else if nothing else saving private ryan did if it didn't if you know it didn't win best picture and sure but it did give us and i will fight any of you on this the best miniseries of all time in oh, Band yeah. in, in Band of Brothers because uh, that is everything Saving Private Ryan is and more uh, and I would wouldn't mind just watching all ten of those episodes mm-hmm. just for just reviewing them so yes mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan one uh, top three oh god top three Spielberg top it's near the top of Spielberg's very yes. long resume as one of his finest works. A very well-deserved director win, and uh, I think I do think the Academy it it got it wrong. So, you know, you can you can politic away, but uh, as I said last week, Shakespeare in Love is a good movie. It's sometimes a great movie. Saving Private Ryan is a great movie, and it is an important movie, and I think it is the one that has lasted more and has had more of an impact on the industry as a whole than mm-hmm. any other. Uh, certainly, any other war film in the last uh, since Platoon, I guess, which was 1986. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, uh, I agree with you totally. I kind of just want to go watch this movie again. As weird yeah. as that sounds, it's just yeah. <laughs> uh, so rich and just a not. It's not a joy to watch, but it. I just I like watching it. Mm-hmm. I do. It's it's mm-hmm. it's great. The music's wonderful. Everything about everything about it is a master craftsman of story and cinema at his absolute best. 
and it's mm-hmm. it's Steven Spielberg. So um, you have been listening to the Oscar Watch Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in on this extra long episode. If you like what you hear, if you want to disagree with us and say that perhaps um, Dark City was per- the best film of 1998, and I, can, yeah. I could... I could I, it's a great movie. You can write to us at OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com and be sure to follow us on all the social medias at OscarWatchPod and like, subscribe, and review on iTunes. Leave us a review. It really helps people find us and get the word out about the show. Matt Marchetti, uh, if people wanted to read your daily uh, movie reviews, where can they find them? You guys can find me on Instagram at uh, movie underscore matinee, matinee with two T's. Uh, I try to do, as you sort of alluded to, a, a movie review a day. Uh, I think I've been slacking a little bit. We're we're getting ready to uh, travel to London and Paris the next couple of days, so I've had other things to to do. Although I will have at least one or two up before Thursday, um, and then I'll kind of be off for uh, about ten days. But I'll come back. You will. Summer vacation for a teacher, and I have a lot of time to watch a lot of bad movies. I cannot mm-hmm. wait to watch a lot of these things. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, follow, like, check him out. Yeah, and occasionally he'll he'll even watch a good movie. I'll like try. I'll try. You know. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Next week we'll be back with more tales from the red carpet and the uh, films for your reconsideration. Thank you so much. Until then. <laughs>